Turp Diamond. Hello and welcome to This is Cannabis from X-Ray FM, the show that takes an insider look at the Oregon cannabis scene. I'm your host, Lee Henderson, co-founder of Portland Craft Cannabis Company, High Five Farms. And with me in the studio today is my co-host, Emma Chasen, the founder of Eminent Consulting. Hi. Hi. Nice to see you. How are you? I'm doing well. How what, are you doing? I'm, I'm doing well. Yeah? Yeah. Cool. I am. You just came uh, back from top of a mountain. I did. I went on a trip with my daughter's third grade class. It was cold. Ooh, I bet. It was cold. Was, it was there a lot of snow? Though. I will say it was really, like, it was like sunny. Mm. Mm. Um, a lot of snow. It was an interesting trip going on a, you know, with like, let's say 20, 25, nine-year-olds and a bunch of parents. And wow. It was... And it was a sleepover? It was a sleepover. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And you built an igloo? We built an igloo. Wow. Yeah, it oh, was a, wow. a giant igloo. Like <laughs> literally like we like sawed uh, these huge bricks out of ice. We dug a whole big, a big hole in the ground and, and then used these hand saws. Um, it was, it was, in, it was, I wouldn't say it's intense, but it was like well out of my comfort zone. Put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, For those of you who have never met Lee, yeah. I wouldn't necessarily classify him as like the outdoorsy rugged type. outdoorsman. Mm, no, no. I, I believe before we sat down to record, I said, I'm outdoorsy in that I like, um, like a brunch patio. Yeah. So that is a perfect, perfect <laughs> yeah. idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's of, about as outdoorsy. That's about as outdoorsy <laughs> as I get. Um, how are you? I'm doing well. You been I'm, traveling? I, you know, I actually haven't been traveling that much um, since I got back from Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. I've been here in Portland, but um, just working a ton. Yeah. Um, so just on on the hustle, which feels good. Yeah. I am the type of person who I love to have too many projects going on at one time. Um, and so that's kind of my reality right now, which I am very grateful for. Word. Yeah. All right. Well, um, uh, I am very excited about today's show. Me too. It is my favorite, favorite um, edible producers. Yeah, so in. we're going to have uh, Katie Stem from Peak Extracts as the company mm-hmm. on. She is the founder of that company and we're going to uh, talk all about um, I mean her company a little bit but we're also I mean I, I hope to really sort of get into the the processes of extraction. Yeah. What it means uh, and like how it's done mm-hmm. and try to explain that to people because I'll be honest it's something I really struggle with and I'm in this business. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, it's something that I... I also, I mean, I'm I'm definitely not an expert in, or even I wouldn't consider myself well versed in mm-hmm. at all. Um, and so I'm I'm excited to run through it with her, where she is um, a master extractor and chemistry extraordinaire. The difference, the difference between BHO, PHO, CO2, distillate, isolate, full isolate, spectrum, terp stuff. sauce, diamonds, terp diamonds. What? Yeah, there's I terp diamonds. I mean, there's a there's a Kiss song called Black Diamond mm. uh, that I just immediately and, and the replacements cover it. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite bands, the replacements cover it on their record, Let It Be. And um, so I always just sing Terp Diamond. Oh, yeah. It's good stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So um, so let's go to that conversation now. Woo. Terp Diamond. <laughs> Our guest today is Katie Stem, CEO of Peak Extracts. 
Peak Extracts was the first adult-use edibles producer licensed in Oregon and currently holds a position as the number two cannabis chocolate manufacturer in the state. Originally founded in the Oregon Medical Marijuana Program in 2014, Peak Extracts is locally owned and can be found in more than 150 selected retailers across Oregon. Katie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Welcome. It's so good to have you here. It's so great to see both of you. Hell yeah. Um, Yes, thank you. Uh, Thanks for coming. So uh, it's great to have you here. To start, I would like to ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the cannabis industry. Sure. So I moved to Oregon from the Midwest. I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, but I came back in 2004. And I came here to do research at OHSU, Oregon Health Sciences University. And um, I got diagnosed with Crohn's when I was 21. And my GI doctor at OHSU suggested cannabis. And I asked him to write me a prescription, and he said, well, you definitely should get one, but I absolutely cannot write one for you. And so I went to the clinic, and I got a medical cannabis card, um, and I started growing my own. And so I was in the program here for about 10 years before we started the business. When I was growing for myself, I discovered that train wreck was a really bad strain for me, and blue magoo was a really good one for my symptoms, primarily nausea and abdominal pain. Mm -hmm. And so that led me down the path of exploring this idea of strain specificity. And so I made chocolate, I think in 2006 or seven for the first time. And then I started exploring strain specific edibles from that point on. And then we started the company in 2014. Right on. Mm. And the company is one of, if not one of, if not the only uh, women run extracts companies operating in our fair state. Why do you think that is like is. Is it a is do you think it's a boys club or what's going on there? I do. I, I, it's a convergence of a number of really male dominated fields. Mm-hmm. We've got business and science and mechanics and also weed. They're mm-hmm. all pretty male dominated. And there's some things about it that are cultural. And I think that there's some things about it that are just logistical. Almost all of the extraction companies or the, the manufacturers of the extraction equipment are run by men. And some aspects to running an extractor are very masculine, both, you know, in stereotype and also logistics. Like I said, it's. What do you mean by that? So the machine itself is huge. Okay. It's twelve hundred sure. pounds. And to get it into our facility, we had to have four really strong guys and a pallet jack. And there are aspects to running the machine on a daily basis that me as a fairly average sized female, I'm just not strong enough to do, mm-hmm. which is really frustrating to me. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that was not something that they deliberately engineered into the system. I think they just didn't consider that you would have to be a certain amount of strong to do things. You know, that that's a little bit more difficult. I've learned a lot about engine mechanics, and there's a lot of that that's really intimidating to a lot of women. Um, you have to use tools, you have to use wrenches, and nothing, none of it's particularly complicated, but it takes some confidence. And it, it also takes the cultural thing where men are willing to teach you how to do it without being patronizing. And um, men are willing to give you the secrets, which I, I think I have an advantage in that I can bro out with guys and I can talk about chicks and cars and sports. And <laughs> so I can get into that. I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> You guys laugh. I can't. You're laugh. I don't know why you're laughing. That's not funny. Please continue. I'm sorry. No. Um, and so, I mean, the other two women that run the company with me, they kind of joke about me being the secret weapon because I can talk to guys. And a lot of the mm. really meaningful insights we've gotten about our extraction systems um, have been what they call clucking with the men, you know, and, mm-hmm. and they're sharing their secrets with me. And we're, we're talking, we're riffing, we're developing processes. And 
that is almost always done with men. And so Mm. it's important to be able to straddle those worlds and not get discouraged and not when someone tells you no and that you can't do it and they assume that you're incapable just to pivot and find a way around that. Do you consider that a form of code switching? I'm just uh, curious. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. Interesting. Okay. Well, on that note, I wanted to talk about extraction itself since you're obviously an expert. Uh, uh, can you can you explain what extraction is, how it works, and what the different um, kinds are? I've got some questions here, some specifics that I'll get to, but like overall, we've never really done a show. We haven't on yeah. extractions, and yeah. so I feel like it would really behoove our audience to be as you know, like like we said, thorough, like as thorough reductive, take nothing for take no uh, education for granted or or knowledge for granted really hit us like we're fourth graders. Okay, well, um, I'm a huge chemistry nerd, Mm. so let's preface that. Word. And so when I think about extraction, I like to think about it as trying to remove the stuff you want and leave the stuff you don't. And so with cannabis, what we want is the cannabinoids and the terpenes and the flavonoids if you're our company. A lot of people don't want to get those. Um, And so, but you want to leave the plant material, which is cellulose, chlorophyll, the lipids, the waxes. And so you need to find something that wants one, but not the other. And so the idea, an analogy would be if you want to put honey into a cup of tea, you want to put the spoon into the tea and swirl it around, and you want the spoon to still be there. Mm. You don't want it to be corrosive to the spoon. And so solvents are almost always liquid because they have mobility. if you put something in a solid surface, it's only going to pick up the thing that it touches. It's not going to take all of it and be able to put it into a solution. And so when we look at extraction, we, we look at liquids and we divide those into primarily for cannabis. It's um, CO2, the hydrocarbons, and ethanol. And you can talk about those as having three distinct properties, affinity, selectivity, and volatility. And so the idea behind all those is that the affinity is the the seductiveness of the solvent. Now we're talking. Mm. Yeah. So it's it's enticing the THC and the terpenes to come with it and join its fun party, right? And then the selectivity is choosing which of the things it wants. So leaving the stuff behind that it doesn't like. And then the volatility is the ability to purge it at the end. Because you don't want the solvent. You want the stuff that you took away from the plant material. And so you want something that will readily boil off at the end after you're done. And so um, the hydrocarbons, they're probably the best in terms of all three of those things. Um, and the, my objections to hydrocarbons are completely separate from their you know, suitability as a solvent. U- utility. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My first extraction of cannabis was with hexane in college and it it works really well it pulls thc extremely well it pulls terpenes really well it totally leaves chlorophyll behind and it leaves all the plant material behind too um the problem is of course that it's super explosive boo and (laughs) um also comes from petroleum products keep a a good eye on that double boo yeah Yeah. and also leaves this horrible stream of toxic hazardous waste behind it because triple boo yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. third strike man is it a gorgeous solvent it really is Mm -hmm. you get a really beautiful product out of it but the aftermath is horrible Mm. um so then co2 it has pretty good affinity 
and volatility is off the charts. It doesn't even, you have to apply a lot of pressure to it to even become a liquid. And so that one works pretty well and it's pretty selective. It pulls a little bit of chlorophyll, it pulls the flavonoids, which some people don't want, and it'll pull a little bit of the waxes. So CO2 is the one I use. Obviously, I'm pretty biased at this point. Um, and then ethanol has a lot of affinity and no selectivity. Um, it pulls tons of chlorophyll, all the waxes. It's it's the the cheap and dirty, pretty much. Mm. But it's also really accessible and really cheap. Um, there are different grades of ethanol, too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can use worth, vodka yeah. if you wanted, but you're going to clean up a lot of water at the end. Um, and so the best way to use ethanol is with 200 proof, which is just anhydrous, no water in it at all. Mm. And then you can boil it off really easily. The problem with water is that, you know, THC isn't water soluble. It, it hates it. Um, and also it's because of its polarity, it a lot of things piggyback on it, which piggybacking is when you boil off a molecule and it carries something else with it, mm. which is why when you make pasta, the water coming off the boiling pot is always yep. smelling like pasta because mm-hmm. it just pulls everything with it. Um, and so water is not feasible, except, I guess, as a way to get rid of chlorophyll before you do a secondary extraction. So I have a list here of uh, different types of extractions that I thought we could run down. Um, and I'll start with distillate versus isolate. So distillate is a way to clean up an, a previous extraction method. And you can make distillate out of pretty much anything of the the, the other three. Um, I don't really see why you would with butane because it's already pretty much there. Um, distillate is targeted at like 86 to 95% THC. Mm-hmm. And so what you do there is it's very much like making whiskey where you have your extract, which would be the mash, and then you boil it off selectively and you capture what you want. And so when you're making distillate out of an extract, you'll have what's called the heads and the tails, which is the fraction before you get to the THC and then the fraction after. And so as you heat up your substance, it's going to boil off all these things as they convert from a liquid to a gas. And you're going to capture that, and it's super gross. And then you'll get the middle fraction, which is THC. And then the the fraction afterwards is called the tails. And that's also pretty gross. And then the stuff in the in the remainder in the flask is absolutely vile. So you're al- applying a lot of heat because all of these compounds boil at a pretty high temperature mm-hmm. under vacuum. Mm-hmm. It's it's still what temperature know, is that? I mean, just to give our listeners an idea, it's around 400. Yeah, okay. Um, and that's under vacuum, so it would be even hotter if it wasn't under vacuum mm. because there's no pressure on the substance to stay in a liquid phase, so it it sublimates. Um, and boils off easier when there's no air pushing on it. That's how a vacuum makes things boil at a, a lower temperature. Isolate? Isolate is where you take distillate, and usually you put it into pentane. Um, Which is? It's a, it's a hydrocarbon. It's okay. another solvent. And then it can precipitate out. So there's a variety of ways of doing the isolate, but essentially it's distillate, which is it's semi-solid. It, at room temperature, it's pretty darn hard. Um, it flows very, very slowly. Um, there's not really a good analogy. It's way thicker than molasses, and it's slightly off white color. Mm-hmm. It's slightly yellow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then isolate is crystalline powder, and it, it takes another cleanup of usually a hydrocarbon to to make that precipitate out and filter it, and then you boil off the hydrocarbon. Well, okay. Mm. Thank you. Uh, so let's talk about like the uh, full spectrum oil and how 
people can can kind of you know uh, generally understand what that term means and the different types of full spectrum and the other spectrums and yeah that that term isn't really concrete like there's not an agreed upon definition of what it means mm-hmm. um, am I framing the cre- the question incorrectly no not at all no okay. yeah yeah there's definitely a lot of debate where people who make um, like alcohol-based, ethanol-based products want only full spectrum for those types of products, I've heard. Um, Whereas people who use CO2 as a solvent, people who even use the the hydrocarbons as a solvent feel that if they uh, run their extraction in such a way, they can still retain a broad spectrum or a right. full spectrum of compounds in their their end product. So, right. so yeah, I've I've also experienced that from different um, processors and and extraction people, dependent on what type of extraction you're doing, how you're doing it. Um, people are kind of adopting the full spectrum term because it's also something that the consumer market wants right now or, right. or it's a, a, a portion of it wants. Yeah. 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 I think you're right. It is very much a branding thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah. I mean, it, I think in the the essence of the term, you're supposed to retain everything you can from the plant, but that's a little bit arbitrary because there's always going to be things you don't want from the plant. And for instance, RSO, which is an ethanol derived um, extract is has a ton of chlorophyll in it, and that's not something I would ever want to work with. Chlorophyll is a really cumbersome and kind of pokey molecule. Um, it, it doesn't interact well with things, and it can be corrosive, and people can have digestive problems because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a it's the robotic machine of plant metabolism. It converts sunlight to energy, and so it's 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 a complicated molecule. I don't like to have it in my extracts, mm-hmm. um, but some people think that that's part of full spectrum. Um, I mean, I consider what we do to be full spectrum because we retain the flavonoids and the terpenes and all of the cannabinoids, um, whereas some people are aiming for specific cannabinoids, mostly THC. And so it, it's, like I said, it's kind of a dogmatic thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I'll say, I'll add with full spectrum, like if you are pulling out your um, polyphenols and your like other phytonutrients and your chlorophyll, you definitely don't want to smoke that. Yes. Like that is something that you do not want to smoke or heat and, and, and inhale. Why? 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 Um, because it's just, they can be carcinogenic. They also, because they are more water soluble, it's like you never want to heat and like aspirate water. That's just not something that's good for you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and the polyphenols and phytonutrients, the they're really only designed for or appropriate for, in my opinion, digestion because they can get wasted out through the digestive system. Mm-hmm. And and the like medicinal properties that um, research has uh, determined for us in regards to these phytonutrients are all examined through digestion and absorption through digestion. Um, and it's mostly like antioxidant potential that I've seen. Um, but yeah, like, like an RSO style full spectrum oil with ethanol, you don't want to like put that on a dab rig and dab that. Mm-mm. All right, dabbers. You yeah. heard it here. So if it's not if it's not full spectrum, what is it? 
It is more of a distillate or an isolate because okay. you are focusing on pulling out one or maybe two cannabinoids or two compounds. In a very selective sort very of. Very selective pulling. Intentional. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, you know, forgive me here. If I don't understand what we're talking about, I don't expect our audience to. So, you know, forgive me for sort of maybe restating a couple things there. Um, speaking of restating, we, we talked about CO2, but I thought we could talk about CO2, not necessarily versus BHO and PHO, but like just, you know, just talk about those three things. I don't want to put them in opposition to each other because that kind of calls for a judgment. I don't feel like we want to editorialize, you know, take an, ed- an editorial position on. But sure. please, what you know, what do those mean for the people who just sort of see it on the packaging and don't know what it means? Well, I, I, I think that the environmental thing is important for me. Like I said, sure. the, the um, hydrocarbons are really good solvents, and they produce a really clean extract that has a lot of the good stuff that we want, like the terpenes and the cannabinoids. All of the minor, minor cannabinoids are pulled by those solvents, but you know that. The There's environmental impact is is intense. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas CO two, it's negligible. The environmental impact, um, which makes me feel better. But of sure. course, this is you know okay. Yeah, handing me a hammer and um, I'm a carpenter. So and to be super clear, yeah. uh, BHO it stands for butane. Please, B, yes, thank and then you. the P in PHO is propane. And so, also from thinking about like in an ingestible standpoint um, or an inhalation standpoint, you don't really want to be inhaling any residual butane or propane. Right. Yeah. Luckily, it's quite volatile. And so it's it's pretty minimally mm-hmm. um, present in the final product. That said, if people don't do it carefully and if they don't purge it well, there is going to be some residual hydrocarbon in your extract, which mm-hmm. is grody. Mm-mm. Yeah. <laughs> grody. And is that, something that people, <laughs> is that something that people will recognize in its sort of taste you know what i mean like how to do you, do you follow me and follow you can sell in someone who knows what they're talking about says wow there's they didn't wash that very well there's a lot of butane and leftover in that or is it sort of more of like a silent i don't luckily oregon tests for residual solvents mm-hmm. okay and so those will be gone unfortunately Oregon still doesn't test for heavy metals. Yeah, we and talk so, about that on our show a lot. Yeah, and so that's that's a concern with the hydrocarbons is that a lot of them are contaminated with heavy metals, mm-hmm. and that will pull into the oil, and it's possible to ingest it that way. Yeah, and we, we just saw in California that they're having a major recall of a lot of vape cartridges on the market because of lead contamination. Yeah, China's exactly. made. Yep. Yeah. Rough. You saw that article I sent you? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I saw it too. Yeah, yep. well, that's fun. Okay, so... Uh, and then the, to, to kind of close out talking about this, I wanted to ask you um, for, again, for our listeners to sort of, or you too, I guess, really, like, let's talk about bubble hash, rosin. You talked, you mentioned RSO, uh, terp diamonds, terp sauce. <laughs> <laughs> those, those are, those last two are marketing terms. Right, yes, right, right. Are. But I mean, like, what are these and things? And they're new. I, I, I mean, guess... I just see them pop up, the diamonds and the terp sauce. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, terp sauce was something, I mean, I, we were working on it at Hi-Fi Farms and it was just something that I, I had trouble taking seriously because the it's a stupid name. <laughs> it's a stupid name. Thanks for saying so. Yeah. Thanks um, for backing me up there. I, I feel negligent. I didn't mention mechanical extraction. So okay. you're, oh, well, let's, let's... you're bringing me back. Okay, good. So yeah, yeah. we talked about solvent extraction mm-hmm. exclusively. And the other way that you can get it is the good old fashioned way, which is just mechanical. Um, you know, people started by shaking hash plants upside down onto a tarp and collecting right. the hash and putting that's, them in a dryer or something yeah, right? yeah yeah and so there's a variety of ways that you can mechanically extract 
resin or, you know, the trichomes. Um, and so that could be like screens or, um, you know, the bubble hashes, ice in a bucket with a paddle that you swirl up and then the, the crystals fall through a mesh and then you, you grade the mesh so that it comes mm-hmm. out really pure and cute at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And, I'm sorry. And what are those crystals like for just to be... The trichomes. The trichomes, yeah. right. Yeah, and it's, it's... I'm not asking, I'm asking for It's the, using the yeah. idea yeah. Um, of the the lack of water solubility of the trichomes and the compounds in the trichomes, specifically with like ice water hash, bubble hash, where you're agitating the plant material in a, in a solvent in water that is not a good solvent at all, so it won't pull it out, it won't absorb it. Instead, it'll cause the trichomes to kind of split from the plant material. Yep. Word. Um, thank you. So, okay. Um, so I want to talk more about specifically peaks CO2 processing because we talked about CO2 as a solvent, as a good solvent, um, but you can make um, different kind of, I don't want to say grades of oil, but you can make like a distillate from CO2 oil um, or from CO2 gas. You can also do broad spectrum, full spectrum from CO2. Peak does broad spectrum, full spectrum. Um, yes. What is the difference in the actual processing that would get you a full spectrum or closer to a distillate? Well, without giving too many of our amazing secrets please, away. Please, and don't. It's a lot about material handling and good starting material. Mm. Um, the easiest way to make sure that something doesn't end up in your final product is to make sure it's not there to begin with. Mm. Um, and so we've switched, thanks to the glut of beautiful product in Oregon, we've switched entirely to processing flour, wow. which is... It, it sometimes feels really sinful to take wow. a giant, beautiful bag of flour and grind it up and run it through a CO2 machine. <laughs> mm-hmm. But also awesome in oh. terms of end material. Oh, oh my God. Delightful. Oh. And we're seeing yields As that... a producer, that flour's got to go somewhere. Yeah, fair enough. So yeah. it's, 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 a... it's not so sinful when you think about it that way. True. Mm-hmm. Sorry, And it's, it's way more shelf-stable once we get it into oil. We can just throw it in the freezer. Mm-hmm. Unlike the flour, which is just literally withering on the vine. Yeah. There's, there's that. And then also it's our parameters. I think the best analogy that I could come up with for, for our process is like making cold brew. Because when you heat something, you agitate the molecules, you create friction. And because CO2 is required to be under pressure in order to be a liquid, and we need it to be a liquid, otherwise it's not a solvent, um, you're subjecting everything to those pressures. And so the risk when you blast CO2 at 5,000 PSI, for instance, which is where CO2 really becomes a superb solvent for THC, Mm. is that you're going to end up making other compounds that are undesirable. And so you you get things like acetone spiking when you do a really high supercritical run and you make new compounds because it's like the furnace of humanity, you know? And <laughs> the so big bang, the baby. primordial goop. Yeah, exactly. And so rather than doing espresso, which is, you know, that's what basically supercritical CO2 is, we do it cold and low and slow. We 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 get it under enough pressure that it's liquid, but we keep it really cold. Mm. And so that's also how we preserve everything is that, you know, terpenes are notoriously volatile. That's how we smell them. Mm-hmm. And so we want to keep everything like chill and mellow the whole time. Peak yeah. extracts, we keep it chill. Yeah. Keeping it <laughs> chill since 2014. Word. All right. Cool. I think we're going to title this episode Under Pressure, by the way. Ooh, I like it. Yeah. Okay. Let's take a break there. Uh, you are listening to This Is Cannabis on X-Ray FM. 
This is Cannabis is brought to you by the Craft Cannabis Alliance. The Craft Cannabis Alliance is a network of values-driven, Oregon-owned companies committed to defining, supporting, and celebrating authentic craft cannabis and building an industry dedicated to people, place, planet, and plant. The Alliance is leading the fight for interstate commerce in legal cannabis through the One Fix campaign. Export is the centerpiece of a successful Oregon industry that will support hundreds of farms and dozens of companies, providing world-class artisan products to legal markets and cannabis lovers everywhere. All right, and we are back. If you were just joining us, you were listening to This is Cannabis on X-Ray FM, the show that takes an insider look at the Oregon cannabis scene. My name is Lee Henderson, and with me in the studio is my co-host, Emma Chasen. Uh, and our guest today is Katie Stem, CEO of Peak Extracts. Uh, Peak currently holds a position as the number two cannabis chocolate manufacturer in the state. Thank you for staying with us. Thank you for having me. Um, so we front-loaded uh, some some really good scientific information, I felt like, in the first uh, chapter segment. But let, I want to talk a little bit more um, about you and have this be a little, maybe a little more philosophical um, to close out this episode. Um, you've maintained a Chinese herbalist practice uh, called Clearing Wellness Center uh, here in Portland since 2010. Um, and as mentioned, you also have Crohn's disease. Obviously, both of, both of these personal data points inform uh, Peak Extracts' uh, operating model and governing philosophy, uh, which is very outcome-focused and really prizes strain-specific control. Um, can you tell us about that philosophy? Yes. I think that Eastern medicine is really good at empowering patients to take control over their lifestyle and habits. And cannabis has this awesome potential to be able to do that, too, because there's so many variables that you can play with. And because we're adults and we can consume, we can dose. Right. And we it's such a multifaceted dynamic. Absolutely. Uh, mm -hmm. Medicine. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And so I was really empowered by dietary and herbal changes in my 20s as I, I, as I studied Chinese medicine. And it really helped me get control over my Crohn's disease. Mm -hmm. and Which, again, I'm sorry, is an autoimmune disease, correct? Correct. That affects digestion and... Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's a tummy, tummy ailment. It's a tummy thing. <laughs> it's yeah. a tummy thing. Yeah. Lots of ulcers. Yeah. My um, wife has an autoimmune disease, so I'm a little bit, I know a little bit about it. Not yeah. the same, but you know. Sure. They're it's increasingly serious. common, mm -hmm. really common in this area as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so cannabis was enormously helpful for me, um, both in managing my symptoms and also suppressing my autoimmune response. And so I started delving into that and what I needed in terms of the different plants, and I I found a total I won't call it a miracle cure, but it practically was in mm -hmm. the blueberry genetics, um, because I was able to function and still, you know, eat. Mm -hmm. And when you say function, you mean like kind of cognitively, you all, know, all of it. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, Crohn's can be totally physiologically debilitating. Yeah, that's my. You know, you're. Having a lot of bowel movements, a lot of pain, a lot of mind fog because it's you're you're in agony. So um, you're not functional in any way, shape, or form. And it allowed me to control how much I was going to the bathroom, how much I was having nausea and pain, and also maintain lucidity, which is super important. Mm -hmm. um, and so that that inspired me to 
start really probing what the differences between strains were in terms of their subjective effects on me. Um, and then I started playing around with my fellow patients in terms of what was helping them because they had a variety of ailments, whether it was cancer, chemotherapy management, or um, you know, MS was another one that I worked heavily with. And mm. it seemed like the, the blueberry genetics were really helpful for a lot of people with MS too, with muscle spasticity. So there's something about relaxation, you know, in terms of a, like a physiological muscular way um, that seemed to be maybe it's in the mercine, you know, I, I'm not I'm not certain, but that was where I started. And then we just kept going from there. And then we started color coding our system so that we could make less mistakes and then we could classify the different strains and people could control their own experience. Mm. Mm. I want to talk a little bit more about um, your strain-specific chocolate bars. Full disclosure, they are my favorite edible of all time, and I eat a good amount of edibles. Edibles Strong are statement, uh, and I will stand by it until the day that I you die. You can make the check out to this is cannabis <laughs> on X-ray. No, I am serious. It is truly no, it's great. I love my it. favorite edible. I have eaten many edibles, um, tried almost all of them on the market, make my own a lot, and I can say with certainty that the experience that I get from a Peak Chocolate Bar is uh, the most well-rounded and the most pleasant. That being said, the experience for me definitely varies from chocolate bar to chocolate bar, dependent on the strain um, that it is infused with. And I wanted to talk more about the debate in the scientific community around terpene retention of CO2 extraction first. So there is debate that if it goes through a CO2 extraction, um, that there won't be high terpene retention at the end. And then even if terpenes are included in the CO2 oil in the end product, research shows that they are not very efficient at absorbing through the digestive tract. And I will also add the disclaimer that we do not have a lot of research at all about the way that terpenes absorb through the digestive digestive tract. Um, but I wanted to talk to you, Katie, more about the science behind the strain-specific edibles and why you believe that your edibles deliver such unique experiences. Sure. This is my jam. Right. Hell yeah. Okay. Um, so first part of your question, they haven't seen our CO2 oil mm. um, in terms of terpene retention. We retain a lot. Sweet. Um, so when we're looking at our, our activated uh, decarboxylated oils, we're seeing between, you know, usually about 4% terpenes. Nice. Wow. Um, and we're in the teens pretty reliably for our raw extracts. Mm, hell yeah. Which is high. That is high. Yeah. I mean, we're not losing much, mm -hmm. um, especially when we're looking at flour that's in the 2 to 4%. Right. So if we're, we're at a five-fold extraction, then we're retaining... Most of it. Nice. Um, and so the second part, the science behind it. So when you're referring to the absorption, um, everything I've seen, and, and stop me if you've seen something else, is, is based on PKs, mm -hmm. pharmacokinetics. So mm -hmm. should I explain how that yeah, works? Yeah, please, yes. I was going to say. So pharmacokinetic studies are based on the idea that you introduce a substance to the body, and then you take blood every few minutes, and you watch it disappear um, and so that tells you how quickly a, a pharmacologically active substance will peak in your bloodstream and how fast it goes away. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's how they determine okay. half-life, okay. et cetera. Sure. And so, um, and furthermore, with pharmacology, you determine an effective dose based on therapeutic index and also a lethal dose, which 
there isn't there isn't one for cannabis. One for cannabis. Sure, sure. So that makes it more tough. Um, and there's certainly not one for terpenes. And so, first of all, our chocolate does have a fair amount of terpenes. And second of all, um, we don't have any idea of how minute a dose you need to have activity, especially since terpenes are, by definition, they're they're communicator molecules. Mm -hmm. They're meant to, in absolutely minute, like parts per billion, parts per million, interact with a receptor and communicate something with us. That's how we perceive them, which is smell. But that said, they have like a topical effect too. They don't need to be systemic in order to have their effects on physiology. For instance, menthol, it's exposed to a surface and it will numb the nerves locally and it will also cause the blood vessels to dilate. Mm -hmm. And it does all of that without actually entering the bloodstream or going to a nerve bundle or going to the brain to exert those effects. And so we can't say at all. In fact, it would be totally the wrong logic to say that terpenes need to be in the bloodstream in order to exert their effects. Besides which, you know, they're probably not measurable in its active dose in the blood. Mm -hmm. Like LSD, you know, no one's going to dispute that it's working, but you can't dis discern it in the bloodstream because it's such a minute dose. But it's a very powerful substance, and we know it interacts with receptors. So, mm -hmm. like, it's not, it's not a reasonable argument for me. Mm. Um, and so the terpenes, you know, there's definitely some that interact directly with receptors and there's definitely some that affect absorption and there's some that act as co-solvents because they they are solvents themselves like pinene and limonene you can dissolve pretty much anything in them mm -hmm. and so how are they affecting the thc if the thc is dissolved into them mm -hmm. and how are they accepting the movement across your gut membrane mm -hmm. oh that that is fascinating i just got a little like science chills from yeah. that that's so cool i i mean i've seen research to suggest that limonene can actually increase the absorption of other compounds through the um skin mucous membranes and digestive tract as well so that would make right. sense right and when when you study chinese herbal formulation if you want something to go through the skin you have to add an aromatic terpene rich compound mm -hmm. um, and ditto for going through the mucous membranes like if you want to treat sinus congestion then you always have to add something that's really terpene rich and and a lot of Chinese herbs their quote-unquote active components are terpenes um, not to say that they're the only active component because that's the whole point of plant medicine is that there's thousands of chemicals mm -hmm. and this is why scientists Western scientists have nosebleeds when they talk about both herbal medicine, polypharmacy herbal medicine, and cannabis, because there's so much going on and you can't separate the noise from the rest of it. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's that's the way that Western allopathic kind of the pharmaceutical model uh, conducts research is that you isolate a compound and you run a battery of tests on that compound and then you draw definitive conclusions about that compound. And so when the like the true potential for symptom relief and medical efficacy lies in the synergistic relationships between thousands upon thousands of compounds. Yeah, that's when you like the, the Western scientists start to fritz out there. Absolutely. Not to mention how nuanced it is in terms of the perceptibility. Right. I mean, and Western medicine. Is, what does that mean? <clears throat> Sorry. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like it's a. You're, you're high and you're a different high than you were when you smoked the other stuff, but how do you quantify that or explain mm -hmm. that to a scientist? Right, okay. Um, and okay. so it's all subjective. And, and qualitative versus quantitative data 
is very frustrating for, mm-hmm. for especially pharmacologists. Yeah. They, they want to know exactly what it's doing and why. And so they want to like put a rat's paw on a hot surface and watch how long it takes the rat to pull it away. You know, that's what they want to know. They don't want you to say, I'm slightly n- less nauseated and I had one less bowel movement today. Mm-hmm. It's, it's qualitative, right? And so it's tricky. Like, mm-hmm. how, do we, how do we measure it other than anecdotal empirical right. data? Yeah, right. and, and we don't even really have the language fully fleshed out to describe the nuance of experiences from like a from a relaxing, uplifting. I mean, there are a lot of people who are trying to move into that more kind of experiential language, but that in and of itself is so reductive because what relaxing it's, it's exactly yeah, what relaxing totally. means to me, it may not mean the same thing to you. Mm-hmm. I, I want to share a little anecdote real quick. Please. So we have we have the color coding system, and the and the blue is the blueberry for me, and that's what we started with. And and the idea behind that is that it's bright indica, so it's lucid, but it's also good for pain management. And so they're often indica hybrids, and they're often blueberry genetics. There's a color called that's red, which is our heavy sativa, which are. Our criteria is that it's supposed to produce racing thoughts and body lock. Mm. So body high, but still a lot yeah. of like that euphoric mind racing, which mm-hmm. to me is just absolute hell. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, Gorilla Glue, Bruce Banner, those kind of. The ping pong, just yeah, like stuck inside yeah. the yeah, yeah. head. Sour Diesel. Some people love those. And poison. S- that one's actually more of a yellow. Oh, okay. It's, it's more right. lucid, less body high, I've according had some to our very system. paranoid experiences on that. Uh, yeah, I mean those bright sativas. If That's you push them though. too far, will take you into the <laughs> devastating yeah. thought spiral. Okay, yes. so bright red. <laughs> exactly. So the red was it was tongue in cheek for the three of us when we started the company that it was like danger. No, mm, yeah. no red. And multiple times I've been out in the world and someone's come up to me and said, "The red has saved my life. It's the only thing that allows me to sleep." And I'm like, "What yeah. is what? Can I can I see your brain, mm, please? Yeah. Mm. What's going on there?" But you know, it's that's that's the fun part. That, is that yeah, it's super this, interesting. I mean, it's just you know, I say this jokingly, but it's also true. Like relaxing to me is just not being full of rage all the time. You know what I mean? Like I, that's that's how I define relaxing. So I think it's sort of like the term relaxing can be very subjective. You know? Oh yeah, absolutely. And also in like you have to look at many other factors because something that may be relaxing for you one day may not be relaxing the next day because also our our own ECS, our endocannabinoid receptor system, is unique to us. And then it's also constantly changing. And then on top of that, our physiology is constantly changing, dependent on the many experiences and the the many things that we engage with in a day. And right. so that like that lack of control from a scientific research standpoint, it's hard to draw conclusions, blanket conclusions. That's why it's hard to standardize a dose for yeah. for people. Yeah. And, you know, so much is to do with absorption and Mm -hmm. that is influenced by stomach contents and hormone levels based on the time of day and all sorts of stuff. So briefly tell me about your R&D process as coming, you know, coming to these conclusions, coming to the the bright red and the, you know. So we start with genetics. Mm -hmm. And so we look at the parents and grandparents and great grandparents and the land races that they came from and and. We have, you know, the archetype for each color, and then we try to group them with their archetype. Um, and then we will talk to the growers about the different phenotypes. Mm. For instance, we have a blue dream, which many people have told me it's not a true indica. Of course, it's not. It's a hybrid, yep. but it's the blueberry pheno. 
And so it's it's a blue. It's that's just the way it behaves, and that's the way it grew too. So we do that, and then we we do sample and have subjective tests within the company. And sometimes I you know farm it out to other people too and get their impression. Like, is this a red? Like, does this fit into a purple? Because especially with the the far ends of the spectrum, we want it to be as clear for the for the yellow and orange category that it should be as lucid and as energizing as possible. That's the yellow and orange. Yeah. Okay. So that one's like Cinderella ninety nine or um, one of those types, and then um, the the other end of the spectrum is the purple, which most people rely on for sleep. And so the last thing I want is to put something that's a little too energizing in the night night category. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people. People will will give me feedback and be like, oh, that was fantastic to fall asleep for with. And and then we'll base it on that. Mm. Yeah. And that's it's so funny from my personal experience. The purples keep me up like with racing thoughts where the yellow and the orange are like my jam. It's my favorite. And then the greens are like very light to me. Yeah. They're the ones who I can like, I can take a square and be very lucid and work and almost like not even feel high, but get my desired symptom relief. Yeah. I like the greens. They're like the Labradors. Mm-hmm. They're just like, they get along with everybody. Yeah, they're just good. They're just good people. Yeah, they're just, they're good. just chill. Good boy. Yeah. Good it's boy. a good boy. Good girl, I guess, in this situation. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess one one more question I'll ask you about that is, do you think that there are a certain set of terpenes or specific terpenes that that one absorb through the digestive tract better and two um, more uh, more intensely influence the experience, if that makes sense? I wish I knew. Okay. I wish I knew the, the real answer. I, I know that Mercine affects salivary gland mm-hmm. function, and so that's going to affect everything downstream from there. And I, I can anecdotally talk about the terpenes that end up in your sweat. Mm. So we know they're getting in somehow mm-hmm. um, and leaving somehow, and those tend to be the the heavier ones, the meaning in, in character, not in molecular weight. Mm. Um, spicier ones mm, like the beta caryophyllene yeah yeah exactly um and then some of them have direct receptor activity too mm-hmm. so i i think that they probably pass through pretty easily mm. right because that one is a cb2 agonist yes. right yes and so I, i've certainly noticed a difference with the the high beta caryophyllene ones that they are less potent mm. and for instance the the alaskan thunder cuddle like i like to call it <laughs> mm-hmm. when i'm in public mm-hmm. um, expletive uh yeah yeah <laughs> it it feels stronger mm. and i think that that's part of the the allure of that strain is that it just feels stronger and is it because of the pinene or right. i don't i don't have a, a great grasp because we started testing for terpenes two years ago and we started with 14 and we were like oh this is super we're getting six percent terpenes that's pretty good and then we started testing for 24 terpenes and we were in the teens Mm. all overnight so they're not catching all of them right and so i don't know i mean there's terpenes in the highest concentrations of any of them that we didn't even know we had Mm. two years ago Mm. like the neurolidols we have tons of neurolidol and we weren't even testing for that two years ago. Yeah, which Neurolidol is such an interesting one to me because Canada just did um, a, a clinical 
trial or an aggregate of anecdotal um, patient experience data where they found that Neuralidol was the terpene most linked to the anti-anxiety experience out of any terpenes, which is so cool because you look at the research done on the isolated compound of Neuralidol and it's a sedative according to research. But right. then you actually look at patient experience and it's this euphoric anti-anxiety for people. So that just goes to show that the the many synergistic uh, effects of the full kind of complex range of compounds um, are not only subjective, but also still need to be like the physiological mechanisms still need to be elucidated. Yeah. And it's it's going to be tough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because we never get there. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's polypharmacy. Mm-hmm. It's at its most extreme. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then thinking about the Alaskan, does it have a, a dominance or a substantial concentration of terpenoline? It must have yeah. some. Yeah, that, yeah. Would be, yeah. that would be my assumption. Yeah, because then terpenoline and THC, their synergistic potential um, is huge. Like looking at, okay. It's when, a real thunder cuddle, isn't it? It is a real <laughs> whoo, yeah. thunder cuddle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Google yeah. it, everybody. <laughs> You'll see. You'll see. <laughs> cool. Okay. So moving away from science a little bit and transitioning to more um, business stuff. Mm-hmm. Right now, um, we are in a time of rapid industry expansion and also acquisition in Oregon specifically, also in other states. Um, and so as a relatively small craft operation, how do you feel about the rapid industry expansion? Um, and what does that mean for Peak? I am highly ambivalent. Mm-hmm. Um, good answer. It, yeah. Sincerely. Good yeah. answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe I should just stop. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mic drop, baby. <laughs> I, I, we're gonna have to grow mm-hmm. to stay competitive, and um, I, I want to make sure that we do it the right way. Yeah, and I don't want to give up control because this is really fun, mm. and I like driving my own ship. Um, but I'm worried about being competitive if we don't have several million dollars. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so. It's it's a Where's tricky the balance, one, right? Yeah, and and there's also the idea of okay, so we're gonna expand into other states. How do we maintain that control? Yeah. That we not even my control. I mean the control on the part of the consumer um, for their own experience. Mm-hmm. And so, luckily, with the current situation, we're gonna have to make it completely modular. We're gonna have to have an entirely new facility yep. with entirely new machines, and that'll allow us to provide whatever anyone wants wherever we are. Mm. Um, but once it starts to get more regionalized, when hopefully federal legalization happens, it's going to be a totally different ballgame. And I'm totally worried. I'm not going to lie. Because we're, we are very small and it's feasible to keep a small operation here in Oregon. But mm-hmm. that's not going to be a long-term strategy. Yeah. The, the, the repeal of federal prohibition will just completely turn everything upside down. Yeah. I'm, I'm just hoping that given how much time I've spent and thought that we'll be a good trip hazard Mm -hmm. and that we'll be useful to the industry because of all the things that we've learned in the last 10 years. And I want to stay a part of it Mm -hmm. as long as I can. Yeah. I mean, it's way too much fun. Yeah. I, 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 my, I think the best case scenario, uh, in a lot of cases is that, you know, these bigger companies, uh, you know, they acquire the talent from these smaller companies and, and perhaps acquire the companies as well. And then, pay the people who have been, you know, scratching it out for years and years, but building up this incredible expertise to, to then 
you know, do the job, probably take a little, probably they have less ownership of their companies maybe, but they then get, get better salaries for doing what they do and security, the security that comes with that. Right. Does that sound like, how does that sound to you? That, that seems to me to be like at least a flight path out of wherever we are now. And that that's been posed to us a couple of times. We've been pursued for acquisition Mm -hmm. by a couple of parties and, there are things that are really appealing about it, especially yeah. the idea of being able to expand really quickly. Um, I, my my roadblock is a bit of a philosophical and feminist one in that nobody sure. looking to acquire anybody is run by women. Yep. And so we have this little pocket of women-run companies in cannabis, and they're getting broken up and you know absorbed by these male-run companies. And I don't want to lose that narrative that we have yeah, that we're sure. building and this camaraderie and everything that we've worked really hard for and we're trying to create this culture within this new industry mm, hell yes and also i mean that means something especially to the oregon consumer yeah that means something that kind of like trust in in the craft operation the small batch where i mean i think that it's an ideal scenario that you described sure. I mean, like you know, money and me, security it's, it's gotta and, be the right and the salary right, the, but, the deal's gotta be right right yeah to i mean in that there usually is a degree of giving up control in terms of uh processes and that's where it it gets ugh, tricky right and i mean would i be able to convince a huge company that the way we do things is the most efficient way absolutely not right because it's just not it's not the most efficient way. It's right. a pain in the ass mm-hmm. to do all this strain-specific stuff and do it as cold and slow as we do. But it's worth it for us. Yeah. And, I, and obviously, it's worth it for our consumer, too, because people yeah, love it. The, yeah, yeah, it's I mean, magic. Yeah, yeah. It creates magic. So finally, we like to ask our guests a final question. Uh, and that question is, how do you define quality cannabis? For me personally, quality cannabis is something that I can anticipate its effects and appreciate the nuance afterwards, but not be surprised. So for me, you know, I've been doing this long enough that I can smell a flower and have a really good idea of how it's going to make me feel. And so that means that it has to be true to type and grown well and cured well. And I'm a snob and I'm proud of it at this point because I prefer connoisseur, but please continue. There you go. There you go. We've, we've earned it mm-hmm. in Oregon. Snob has a real pejorative, you know, a good point. Inflection. Good point. I'm a connoisseur. I appreciate it. It's, and I, I can't even believe the stuff that I used to consume compared to the stuff that I turn up my nose. Sorry. I, I, uh, avoid consuming <laughs> mm-hmm. now. <laughs> yeah. You just say no. I just say no. <laughs> But so that's for me. And I think for for our company, it's, you know, is it is it produced well? Do we like the companies that produce it? Do we like the conditions it's grown under? And did we treat it well the whole time? Which it's it's fun. It's it's craft. It's like making wine. If you mess up any part along the way, you're going to see it in the final product. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the fun of the challenge of it. All right. Mm. Um, Katie Sim of Peak Extracts. Thank you very much for uh, joining us today. I think we're going to leave it there. You are listening to This is Cannabis on X-Ray, and we'll be right back. 
This is Cannabis is brought to you by the Open Cannabis Project. The Open Cannabis Project is an independent nonprofit whose mission is to build a transparent and open source platform of cannabis data. Thanks to nearly 80 years of prohibition, cannabis is suffering from a bad case of both misinformation and missing information. The Open Cannabis Project is on a mission to fill this information gap, creating a public records database that can help bring fairness and transparency to everything from intellectual property disputes to lab result issues. Learn how you can donate your anonymized chemical data and help fill the information gap at opencannabisproject.org. Thank you for staying with us. You are listening to This is Cannabis on X-Ray FM, the show that takes an insider look at the Oregon cannabis scene. My name is Lee Henderson, co-founder of Portland Craft Cannabis Company, Hi-Fi Farms, and with me is Emma Chasen, the founder of Eminent Consulting, who is um, a vision in pink today. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now is the time when we make recommendations. Yeah. What do you got? So I'm going to recommend a hike, actually. Um, and <laughs> it is because I am outdoorsy. You are, yes. Um, I am definitely more outdoorsy than you. I do. Everyone is. I, <laughs> go, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, I, I love to hike. And this hike is on the coast. And it is one of my favorites that I've done in Oregon. I mean, it's not a secret or anything. If you like to hike, you probably have done this hike and know about it. But if uh, you're looking for a really good one on the coast, Cape Falcon is just beautiful. It's relatively easy as well. And you get up to this summit that just overlooks uh, Short Short Sands Beach. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's in Oswald State Park, which is my personal favorite area of the coast. Uh, And it is just glorious i mean i get everything that i want out of a coastal hike in that where like i feel like i'm going through like a rainforest um and then getting up to the top and having all these like beautiful shrubs and and being able to overlook the beach and the ocean and the mountains in the distance it's it's really spectacular amazing yeah yeah. Um, and I did that this Sunday with my friends and it's the it was the second time that I'd done it and it was just as magnificent as the first. So if you're looking for a really good, fun and like doable hike right. um, on the coast. How long? Is, how, Cape Falcon. How, how many miles? Yeah, I guess. Not that many. Uh, I think it's like it's in. It's like only two and a half miles. Okay. So like in and out total, it's around super. five miles. Okay, so yeah, like yeah. super doable. Um, it's it never like gets way to like incline elevation. Um, there aren't really any switchbacks. So I don't even know what that means. That's like when you I'm ooh, I don't even know how to explain it. I'm not just Google it. Okay. Um, outdoorsman. Okay. Um, but yeah. So good hike, doable, gorgeous, beautiful coast, Cape Falcon. All right, so my recommendation today, I have two uh, mm. quick ones. The yeah. first is I finally saw uh, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs over the weekend. I have not even heard of that. So it's the new Coen Brothers movie Oh, um, that was released on, I believe they had, was, had a short theatrical run, but it was uh, primarily released. It was financed by Netflix, and it's on okay. Netflix. Okay. And it's amazing. Cool. So I, it came out like around Christmas, and I just didn't have time to get to it. There was too much going on, and I finally sat down and watched it last weekend. And it's a series, uh, it's a movie, obviously, but it's just basically a series of short stories within the movie series of vignettes and uh it, it's all takes place in the old west mm. and it is it's you know the so the stories sort of range from dark and sad to dark and comic as the cone brothers are you sure. know want to do and known for um but i mean the, the the thing that really uh is is so recommendable about this movie is that the cinematography is just 
insane. Mm. Uh, it is just these bu- huge uh, blue skies and just this. I mean, we we you know, uh, so it, this is the kind of outdoors that I like is watching movies about the, the beautiful outdoors because uh, it's you know just bucolic like doesn't do it justice. Mm. And uh, I think it was probably I don't know where it was filmed, but it was definitely filmed in like Montana or one of those you know mm. um, sort of where there was there was lots of open space and uh, it's it's a really beautiful movie. I especially recommend the vignette that uh, is pretty much a one-man show for Tom Waits who's mm. in the movie uh, but it, yeah it's it's a uh, I really loved it I cool. really really loved it so the Ballad of Buster Scruggs on Netflix uh, by the Coen brothers and, and the second thing I wanted to recommend um, today my real recommendation is uh, 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 the latest or one of the latest podcast episodes uh, by our friend Wayne Schwind love him who runs uh, a cannabis business podcast called The Periodic Effects, mm-hmm. which Emma is a frequent uh, guest on. Uh, he has uh, a new episode out now. It'll, you know, uh, it was it's episode seventy eight, and the title of it is "Is Your CBD Business in Jeopardy?" Mm-hmm. And uh, he speaks to someone named um, David Hildreth. I may be saying that name wrong uh, about sort of the recent passage of the Farm Bill and what's what's in it what 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 it might mean sort of going forward it's uh we were all very excited when the farm bill passed mm-hmm, right and mm-hmm. um it turns out that the farm bill was is not bad but it's way more complicated and nuanced and it, it's going to have much more it's going to be very complicating for cbd businesses going forward than we may have thought yes and and like looking at it as a kind of map for what may happen uh when federal prohibition is repealed around THC it's not um necessarily good yeah I mean it's a game it's we knew that the farm bill would be a somewhat of a game changer we, th- we thought it, the game would be would tilt in our favor yeah it may not yeah it's it's complicated yeah so I recommend people who are interested in uh starting a CPD business certainly if nothing else uh Look you know getting in, even into hemp and all that stuff yeah check that out so that is the periodic effects podcast episode 78 because um, it it was relatively eye-opening for me as someone who you know isn't in the CBD business, but is just kind of keeps an eye on what's happening in the right. national industries. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's you know just the the amount of regulations, what it what it, what it's going to mean when the federal government gets involved right. is a really complicated. And I would almost go it like has the potential for disaster. Yes, yes, uh, definitely. It's definitely. It, like I said in this episode, I mean, it's going to turn everything upside down. Yeah. So recommend that. All right. That does it for this week's This Is Cannabis. Please remember to email questions and comments to thisiscannabis at xray.fm. Also, please be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is at thisiscanna on xray. Uh, this Is Cannabis is en- engineered by Will Romy, and our theme music is the song Impossible OK by Portland artist Motric. Please be sure to check them out on Spotify. Wubba, wubba, wubba. Good night and good luck, and thanks so much for listening.